You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, the Elder Dragon War is the slower, less impressive cousin of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. But sometimes four fables just isn't enough. What can we do with eight red sagas? Then on the flashback, testing results with Haughty Jin. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, coming to you from the Middle East. I'm joined today from Buenos Aires. You know him as more to light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, Dan. It's still weird for me to hear you say you're coming from the Middle East. Like, I'm so used to just being, like, north of me. Like, straight up north, and you're, like, diagonally opposite. I'm half a world away. It's so sad, but actually probably in like the same distance from you that I always was. Pretty likely it's the same. Actually, no, I think you might be like borderline one of the most farthest away as you can. Oh, really? Where were you from like before you moved? Like what state? North Carolina. Yeah, I guess it's probably farther. I think it's probably further, but I don't think by much. At least not in, like, a straight-up travel. <laughs> oh, so it's 3k kilometers more, according to Google. You went from 9,000 kilometers away, which from you, beautiful Imperial System guys who refuse to use anything appropriate from for physics or chemistry, is 5,500 miles, <laughs> and you went 7,000 miles away. Why would you use miles and feet instead of meters and centimeters? Eludes me. Eludes me. But that's not what we're here for. We're not here for me to laugh at the at the lousy imperial system. We're here to discuss brewing. That is allegedly our purpose here today. <laughs> and what a card we've chosen. We're a few weeks into... No, that's not true. We're a few weeks away from the beginning of the Brothers War preview season. Wrapping up Dominaria United, and when you get to this stage of a set, there's not that many blue chip cars left. Especially for modern. You know, strong prospects. Okay. Can't miss, you know, A-listers. Okay. I mean, we're reaching. We, we brewed around Hori Jin, for <laughs> God's sakes. I mean, David was really happy with Hori Jin. Like, from day one. You can see, like, the concept there. I mean, I tested Hodijin this week, and we'll talk about that during our flashback segment. But, you know, there's, there's a reason these cards are not, like, busting up the top-tier metagame right now. These are not Fable of the Mirror Breaker class cards. However, the card we have chosen for today is actually very, very similar to Fable of the Mirror Breaker. It's just, like, a lot worse. We're talking about the Elder Dragon War. So, Mord, why don't you tell us about this saga? What does it do, and what is there to like about it? So, 
Q and Double Red 4 Mana Enchantment Saga, The Elder Dragon World, Read Ahead. Read Ahead, a pretty nice mechanic from this set that allows you that when you play these sagas, this mechanic is only on sagas, you can skip to any chapter you want, so you don't have to start on chapter 1. However, if you start on chapter 2, you are straight up losing that value. So, Read Ahead, step 1, Yellow Dragon World is 2 damage to each opponent and each creature. Second step, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. Step 3, make a 4-4 Dragon Creature Token with Fly. So, it's a small Wrath Effect, 2 damage to everything and opponents, then a Looting, and then a 4-4. Remember, with Red Ahead, you can actually, this shall be a 4-mana 4-4 flyer or a 4-mana loot into a flyer if you don't need the board wipe. In theory, Read Ahead should be all upside, right? Like, you don't have to Read Ahead. You can just start on Chapter 1 and play it like a normal saga. Giving you the option to skip ahead should raise the floor of these cards. Yeah, it's just a straight upside. Assuming you don't misplay, it's straight upside. That's true, right? Maybe maybe we can't be trusted with a choice. But that does assume that like the issue a saga was having was that it was too slow. And I actually don't know if that's true for very many sagas. At least the way they designed the read ahead sagas, they made them a little bit weaker overall because of that like fail safe on chapter three. They they made chapter three the most attractive, most solid chapter on these sagas. That's common for most sagas. The thing is, in this one, they have to be careful not to make it strong enough that you would just pay X mana for that effect. Because you could just get that effect immediately. Like, they had to make sure that, that any of the steps was not as powerful as its mana value. Right, so 4 mana for a 4-4 four, four flyer, while very exciting and limited, is... <laughs> not the biggest prospect. Unless you can add have additional synergies that will push that over the top and not just a 4-mana 4-4 flyer. So the most direct comparison that comes to mind is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Because Chapter 2 is almost identical, right? In Fable, Chapter 2 says discard up to two cards, then draw that many. Elder Dragon War, you can discard more cards, but yeah, you can, you know, just discard two, draw two. That, that part is kind of similar the issue was that Fable, like chapter one of Fable, is actually a pretty decent turn. It's not a fast turn, but it it's a, creates a meaningful resource that the opponent probably wants to deal with. Chapter one of Elder Dragon War is, you can just ignore it. Like a lot of decks will just ignore chapter one, and you'll often want to skip past chapter one. At the same time, chapter three, you get a bigger flyer out of Elder Dragon, out of Elder Dragon War bigger creature, but it's actually like a lot less threatening than the Reflection. Yeah, I think Reflection is just a straight up better card. Like, I'm not even sure a 4 mana 4-4 four, four, uh, flyer is even better than a 2-2 two, two bad Kiki. <laughs> no, yeah, and it's probably worse than the Goblin that makes treasure tokens. Hi. Sorry, we're getting the kid's opinion on the topic. Because it's that or allowing them to piss on my cables. You are a menace. A tiny little menace. What does this kitten think? Should we ever play Elder Dragon War instead of Fable? Is it just extra copies of Fable? Answer. Give us the answers we need.
Why are you so calm? You're being held sideways, you know that. Why is he so chill about this? There we go. <laughs> well said, well said. Bye, kitty. So, don't piss my cables. Or you're going down the window. <laughs> the other day I woke, like, I started cleaning, like, around my computer, and I found, like, everything was kind of sticky, and I almost went on a kitty slaughter pathway. Oh, no. <laughs> the lights of those kitties flashed before their eyes. Like, they heard me screaming and all ran to the other room, and they were like, and I was like, good choice, kitties. Good choice. <laughs> but going back, yeah, I don't think it's better than the treasure one, but I, for sure, like, I think it's better than the treasure one, but for sure it's not better than the other one. So the head-to-head -head comparison is just a little bit concerning that despite costing more, I think Elder Dragon War is like probably worse in most scenarios than the three-mana version of a Red Saga. That being said, you can play them in the same deck, and I think that's what most of the decks we're going to talk about are doing, right? They're, they're starting with four fables, and they're saying, okay, I want a little bit more of, of what? Of the discard effects, a little bit more of just having sagas, a little bit more of token generation even. Uh, you could definitely play copies of Elder Dragon War as like extra fables. I think that's exactly what it is. This is like bad Fable 5 and 6. Are there things to commend this card, like additional upsides that we don't see from other effects? Well, the sweeper is something, right? It, it cleans up opposing Fable tokens, for example. It has some defensive properties. Chapter 2 is a lot of discard. You could potentially discard 4, 5, 6 cards if you wanted to. You can loot as much as you want. The problem is, it's card disadvantage. Like when you play, like bring it only for a step two, and like playing a bad Balakut, a bad Balakut awakening. Right. And if we're really desperate, I mean, the, the token is like a dragon. We could go for dragon synergies. We could go for token synergies. Uh, one of the decks we'll talk about that David has drawn up is trying to copy the token with Essika's chariot. So there are things where you can actually find like, you know, little details about Elder Dragon War that are interesting. But I think for, for the most part, we're looking at extra copies of Fable. And what does that mean? Does that open up new space for like brewing a Saga's deck, for example? Yeah. Maybe, uh, it's so hard to see like, where does this card shine? But I think there's nothing better to say about it than exactly that. It's like, f what if we had a fable, but bad, but we need more fables. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So typically when we have a card that gets glowing reviews out of the box like this, we go straight to Pioneer. But the interesting thing about Elder Dragon War is that it actually had some success right away in Modern, a very powerful format. So I actually played a card. Uh, I actually played a decklist that Dan is discussing, which was a power conduit mono rare. Because one of my friends accidentally bought four power conduits, thinking the card was something else, and was like, "Is this something we can do with this?" And was like, "Maybe." And we ended up finding this decklist. So what is a power conduit? What does the card do, and how does it work? <laughs> so power conduit. Chuman artifact that reads remove a counter for any permanent you control as a cost, and then you get to choose one. Put a charge counter on target artifact, or put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. 
What we care about the most in this particular deck, and like the infinite turns, spikes, control deck that and combo deck that really care about charge counters, is we actually care about removing counters from permanents we control. Because this allows you to repeat any step of the saga you want, and this deck plays 10 sagas. Of course the best one is Fable of the Middle Breaker, and this allows you to get a choo-choo a choo-choo creature that makes a treasure each combat every turn, because you just Actually, you make a 3-3, three, three because you remove a counter from the saga and you put a 1-1 one, one counter on the goblin. So each turn, you just keeps pumping up goblins for free. You just transform your saga into a 0-mana, make a 3-3, three, three, which is sort of insane every turn. So this interaction is, is part of the quirks of how sagas work, right? When you go to your first main phase, you add a counter to the saga, puts the trigger on the stack, but the saga is not dead yet it doesn't get sacrificed until that trigger has resolved so you have time to like respond to that trigger by pulling a counter off so it's like a weird little quirk a weird little trick and you can actually do it with anything that removes counters so hex parasite is the other card that can perform this functionality these cards are old cards right they've been around forever there just hasn't been enough incentive enough support for sagas to like confidently register for Hex Parasite for Power Conduit until now, right? And, th- and this is what this deck did. It's like, okay, we finally have enough Sagas. There's there's 10 Sagas that you cast plus four Urza Sagas, so 14 Sagas. Yeah, you have the four Fables, which is clearly the Messiah deck. You have four Yotia Declares War, which is what has been described in the, in the Discord as Bone Crusher for Artifacts. That allows you for two mana to make a Thopter Tap artifacts to remove something and in the last step transform an artifact into a 3-3. In this deck, mostly you use it as, as removal. Tapping down treasures or spell artifacts you have to like actually each turn remove something with the second step. And then finally, of course, Elder Dragon War, which allows you to either each turn get a 4-4 or each turn get a wrath effect or just loot your hand every turn to try and find something specific. Alongside the 4 power conduits, you have 4 hex parasites. So you have a rule of eight consistency in ways to keep your sagas going. Idea also with both power content and hex parasite, you can make it so your Ursa saga never dies and you get a one drop artifact into play every turn. Yeah, so this Urza Saga's package is actually fairly extensive. It's not just the Shadow Spear, the Springleaf Drum, but there's two Pyrite spell bombs, because you want to get a bunch of them. There's one inscribed tablet. Three Mistress Bubbles, and of course Hex Parasite is another card you can just get off Chapter 3. Yeah, because, as we said, it's pretty likely you're going to have to get it a bunch of times. So you have your Saga package, you have your Power Conduits and Hex Parasites, and then you just need a little bit of interaction for Lightning Bolts, for Gaivanic Blasts, and of course for Ragavans, and that's the deck. Definitely not a deck that features Elder Dragon War, but we might say that this is the kind of deck that is made possible by the existence of a plausible, of an additional semi-playable saga. So what happened when you tested this deck? I mean, was was there anything there? <laughs> so I actually went like 3-2-3-2 or something like that. Like I had above average mediocre results. Like the deck worked. You have a literally 0% chance of beating anything unfair. But the consistent supply of cards it provided via just getting triggers every single turn was pretty insane. Like, you were able to outgrind a lot of decks. I even got a 
really grinding win against four color where he just stole a lot of time and immediately and eventually got the win via like double galvanic last ball to the face. Interesting. So this is like a slow grindy deck. Yeah. The advantage comes from triggering sagas turn after turn after turn. So in order to get advantage from that, you have to play a lot of turns. Yeah, especially because not only you have to play the saga, but in case of Fable, for example, you need to like keep that first step going every turn. Or in Dragon War, you just put it on the third step and keep getting the four for every turn. It's like finding what step you will get the most value of. Or if you want to go for four fours or for constant Ursa saga tokens, it's like a dance. What did you do with Elder Dragon War? Like, if you drew the card, did you typically read ahead or did you just uh, play chapter one? It really depended on the matchup. Like, it was great against Agro or any, like, creature deck where you just kept making the first step every single turn. Like, how can your opponent beat up two damage for wipe every turn? Hmm. Uh, if not, it's just a permanent 4-4. Like, most of the time, it was just a 4-4 making machine. So that's a little more attractive, right? <laughs> a 4-4 for no mana every turn? Or 5-5, I guess, if you have the power conduit. Exactly. It tends to at least get you off ahead in most games. The one of Inventor's Fair wasn't good at all, because... no. But... <laughs> the deck was fun. Did what it had to. So did you feel like this is like the prototype of a deck that could become more powerful as more sluggers are printed? I think so. The thing is, being monorail gives you an advantage that bringing Bloodmoor against the Ursa Sagas is not a good plan because they suck against everything else. So being in monorail was a big advantage, and I don't think I'm willing to lose that. So they have to be red sagas as well. Okay, so we're not looking to like splash Showdown of the Skulls or Invasion of the Giants, for example. Exactly. I think that keeping yourself in monorail is what makes this deck pretty good. Your mana base just works even if you have four Ursa Saga. You're pretty foolproof to like Blood Moons and such without getting oneself crazy, and you get to run a playset of Bolts and Galvanic Blast, which is really good at closing down games. What do you think about the card Flame of Keld? That's a mono red saga that you, you could conceivably play. It requires you to discard your hand on chapter one, but you do draw two on chapter two, and that you could just do every turn. That isn't insanely... Like, it's pretty good. Actually, I didn't consider it, mostly because the discard your hand tends to be really punishing. Unless you have, like, a power conduit going or such already. And in most cases scenarios, once you have that value, you would rather, like... You are getting enough value from that that you didn't need extra cards, right? Like, the 3-3x each turn tends to be better than drawing two cards, almost. It's too bad you can't read ahead on Flame of Count. <laughs> that would Proceed be the directly to draw two. Two mana draw two, and then upside would be one of the best cards in Magic. The chapter three is decent as well. Like it does a lot of damage. Based blink on effect, draw two every turn. <laughs> well, I mean, Showdown is the card that really yeah feels like the big draw, but that that's changing the, the mana base. Changing the mana base, and it's like you can get the first step every single turn. But you're using your mana more for saga constructs and such than casting spells. Hmm. So it's better when your sagas are giving you more tempo rather than more resources. Yeah. 
I imagine that Elder Dragon War is one of the worst cards in the deck, though I don't know if that was your experience. It was pretty useful as a way to actually be- make big threats. Like, three threats are great, but they get really shut down easily by practically anything you put ahead of them. Like, you're not going to be able to beat Lesser Shredders or Mortites or whatever gets in front, while a number of 5 fives is really good at closing down games. Like, two 5 fives and an Albanic Blast. Makes it so you can't really attack with your aerial flyer. Hmm. So it, w- I think it was like a necessary evil in the deck for consistency. Like I wouldn't play the deck without the Elder Dragon War. Like I think it was like a pretty good addition to it. Oh, all right. Well, that's that's encouraging. All right. So much for modern. We don't want to ask too much of this saga. It does cost four mana after all. So let's go to a slower format that's a little more friendly to four drops. We'll shift to Pioneer, where we have two brews from David and also a Gruel deck that has five out a couple of times that uses Elder Dragon War. So we'll start with that list. It's Possibility Storm. Possibility Storm in Pioneer tends to be like a hybrid beatdown slash combo deck. It's a combo that can win the game immediately, but there's not really any way to search for it. So you also have this plan where you're just playing Elvish Mystic, Llanowar Elves, and just trying to curve out with creatures. That being said, Mord, can you walk us through, like, how does a Possibility Storm combo actually work? Maybe I need you to explain to me, but like, why is the first day of class here? Oh, okay, okay, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's an instant. Okay, so Possibility Storm. Possibility Storm, 5-man enchantment that reads, whenever a player casts a spell from from his or her hand, that spell is get exiled, and then that player reveals cards from the top, or exiles cards from the top, and then they reveal a card with the same type, and then cast that one. So, let's say you play a Bolt, that Bolt gets exiled, and you reveal cards from the top of your deck until you reveal another instant, and that's the instant that gets casted. That's true for both players. This deck, however, plays a single sorcery, Enter the Infinite. So how does a deck that plays only one sorcery get through the whole gets to cast an Ender the Infinite? Well, as it's the only sorcery, they play adventure cards that have sorceries stapled onto them. Mostly Lapsrack Beast. However, they added a second package to the deck. They add cards with learn so they can go find a lesson as a sorcery. Specifically environmental sciences. So what you do is you resolve possibility storm. You play a Lapstrack Beast ability, Heart's Desire, you play the Sorcery, which is a 1-1, and that triggers Possibility Storm, which eventually finds the only Sorcery in the deck, which is Enter the Infinite, which means you draw your whole deck, except one card. So when you resolve Possibility Storm, you put back one card on top of your deck, and that card is going to be Borborimos Enraged. You're also going to have all the lands in your deck in your hand, so you're going to play a Stone Cold Serpent, which is going to trigger Possibility Storm, which is, of course, gonna put Borborimos into play as it's the only card in your deck. And then you can discard all the lands you just drew, choose the second ability, discard a land card, bolt target player. So eventually, if you get the possibility storm going, all you need is a one mana sorcery or any sorcery, and that's gonna lead you to win the game. So this has never felt that strong to me. Like, the number of deck slots given to the combo is, is fairly high. It's the four possibility storms, plus the Enter the Infinite, plus the Stone Crow Serpent, plus the first day of class, 
plus Borbrigmos. That's a lot of cards. So first thing of class is here, let me be certain, so you can bone crush your giant, like you can stomp for first thing of class for environmental sciences. Like it's a way to transform the instant pictures, the instant effects into a sorcery. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, they used to play a different instant in that spot. They used to play shared summons, but maybe this is just cheaper. Like it's only two to cast first day of class. Yeah, it's a lot better to just you can cast this plus environmental sciences, which is a lot cheaper. Okay, so that's an upgrade. But yeah, again, that depends on the possibility of storm already being in play. Yeah, you always have to resolve the storm. And it also depends on you not having drawn the Enter the Infinite. So if you ever draw that card, the, the combo is off. There's no, <laughs> there's no plan B. There's no way to put the, the Enter the Infinite back in the deck. So you just got to take that as part of the variance. There, there is still the beatdown plan, right? You are playing Lovestruck Beast. That's a 5-5. Five, five. Bonecrusher Giant. That's a 4-3. There's two Glory Bringers here. There's two Gnarl Professors. Gnarl Professors. A spicy touch, especially when your only when your only lesson is like that one sorcery. I don't know if it's that great. <laughs> oh, you also have pest summoning. Excuse me. So, what does any of this have to do with Elder Dragon War? Well, it turns out that Fable of the Mirror Breaker, uh, no surprise, has been one of the best cards for this strategy. It's on curve. We're trying to curve one three five. It's allows you to continue to ramp, right? So you can just like suicide the shaman token if you have to, just to get that extra mana to cast your possibility storm. Looting two is important for digging towards your namesake enchantment. So you, you can see how Fable is just like raising what this deck can do, raising raising the floor. And for that reason, it's not out of the question to want more of the Fable effect, right? More of the you discard my hand and draw towards Possibility Storm, which is why Elder Dragon War makes some sense. As we said, it's like a fifth and sixth copy of the best card in the deck, which is likely the Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah, so this deck has 5-0'd twice. Worth noting that the first 5-0 played two Elder Dragon Wars, but the second 5-0 <laughs> replaced one of the Elder Dragon Wars with a Wildborn Preserver. So <laughs> that should give you a rough idea of the power level of this of this saga. When it can be replaced with a Preserver. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so those are the existing decks, the known decks, we could say, that use Elder Dragon War. But that's not why we're here, right? We're here to brew, we're here to explore the unexplored space. Plunge into the unknown. And for that, we have our brewmaster, David Robertson. He's not recording with us today, but he has left us a couple of spicy deck lists to dissect. So, more, do you want to tell us about? Uh, we have an Izza deck and we have a Naya deck. I'm gonna let you have the Izza deck because the other one plays one of my favorite cards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, should we start with the Izza deck then? Let's go. This Izza deck is built around Riel the Everwise, one blue red legend, star three, star is equal to. The number of instants of sorceries in your deck, but it's not really here to be a beatdown creature. No, Riel is here because she has an amazing line of text that says whenever you discard for the first time each turn, you get to draw that many cards. So if you're resolving chapter two on Fable of the Mirror Breaker, if Riel is in play, you'll discard two, draw two, and then draw two more. 
So it turns all of your lootings into massive card advantage. Yeah. This is so powerful that, you know, you just kind of go looking through, okay, what, what cards are somewhat playable and involve discarding? David has experimented with this sort of shell before. He tried it with Ledger Shredders. Um, he likes to play Sensor in every deck, of course, but cycling a Sensor with Riel is actually an insane draw two effect. What he ended up finding was that if you go like really big, if you, if you play a top end with Fires of Invention and the Red Cavalier, Cavalier of Flame, uh, you can actually not just draw a lot of cards, but convert this into just like a one-shot kill. So Fires plus Cavalier, this is like a known pairing. For a time, it was a throwing archetype in Pioneer. With Fires of Invention, you don't have to pay any mana for your Cavalier of Flame, so you just cast it with all your mana available. Discard as many cards as you want, draw that many cards, pour all of your mana into giving plus one plus one haste to your team, and that's it. Cavalier plus Fires is such an insane interaction, can close games so fast and all of a sudden. Like, you never see it coming. Yeah, so this is the top end we're looking at. Four Red Cavalier, four Fires, four Riel the Everwise, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Just a great card, but it also has that looting synergy with Riel. Four Sensors, again, an early play that has some looting synergies. But we still don't quite have enough, right? We have not hit critical mass of discard effects. So this is where Elder Dragon War comes in. David is playing the full four copies. Here, because we're like a little bit of a slower deck, right? We're pretty top-heavy. It's not out of the question that chapter one of Elder Dragon War might catch us up. It might be an important chapter. You know, it wipes out any number of opposing fable tokens, or you know, who knows what the opponent is playing. The rest of the deck for Strangle, two is a charm, two Bone Crusher Giant, and a Celestus. Celestus because not only a looter, but also just some extra life gains. We have talked this in the past, how just life gains table to anything is one of the most powerful things you can do in the main deck if it's like in a good card. Yeah, it does just enough. It's ramp, it's looting, it's life gain. What, what else can you ask for a card? So on the one hand, you could think of this as a new iteration of the real looting deck. On the other hand, you could think of it as a Fires of Invention deck where you know the, the deck is only really explosive when Fires is in play. That has its own little wrinkles, right? When Fires is down, you, you can't cast stuff on your opponent's turn, so <laughs> you're dead to Grease Fang if you have a Fires in play. Unless, and this is something that David has learned from his previous attempts at this strategy, unless you play Otawara. Now, channeling is something you are allowed to do when Fires is down. Otawara, he's got a couple copies here. That, that becomes an important defensive tool. Channeling does count as discarding, so you will draw if Riel is in play, and you'll also get a discount on the channel effect. So that's a very nice little interaction. And we should note that Sensor is also pretty nice with Fires because it doesn't count towards your spells. It actually is like a draw two effect for a single blue that still lets you play two more spells that turn. I can never consider Riel plus cycling. Like, a lot of time I forget cycling or channel are actually discarding cards and not actually using, an, using the card. Yeah. Yeah, magic is cool like that. It's cool like that until you channel an Igancho to kill a Turak and it grows. Then it's not nice. 
So what I love about this shell is it's just so different from what any other decks are doing. Is it powerful? Uh, that remains to be seen. I mean, David has had mixed results so far, but it would be cool if we can just get this deck over the hump and we're going to try it again this week and hope that Elder Dragon War can shore up some of the inconsistencies. I mean, we can always hope for Dragon War, for Brothers War to give us some spicy things for Pioneer at least. The Elder Brothers War? I mean, maybe that will be a saga. <laughs> the Elder Bros War. MTG bro. Hashtag MTG bro. Hashtag MTG bro, as it works. So after that, the spicy decklist that comes next is Naya Broadback. Okay. <laughs> this is up your alley. So what if instead of focusing on removing the counters from the other round war, we actually counter it alongside other sagas and enchantments are gonna go to our graveyard once they do their thing? And Broadback is our way to actually get value or a two for one going. So the decklist starts in the most pioneer way with four unbridled growth as a replacement for something like abundant growth. Unbridled growth is a card that reads Enchanted Land has adult mana of any color, so it literally the same effect as abundant growth, but instead of drawing on ETB, you sacrifice it to draw a card. Which means it works amazingly with the best card in the deck brought back, which is double white instant from M20. Choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn, return them to the battlefield tapped. So that allows us to go for some incredibly powerful stuff, like play an Endless Dragon War, get a step two, and then our next upkeep on our next turn, when we get the third step, we can play something like. We can sacrifice an unbridled growth, maybe we attack with the Nessica's Chariot and an opponent kills it, and for two mana we're able to get back a Dragon War and an Nessica's Chariot. Which is like eight mana worth of stuff for only two mana distance speed. This is fascinating. So it's really taking advantage of permanents that sacrifice themselves or put themselves at the graveyard on command and the read-ahead capability of Elder Dragon War means, yeah, if, if you need to sync it up so that it's dying on the same turn as a different saga, you have a little more control over that. But you also have Unbridled Growth. You could just crack that. It's, it's almost like a Pioneer Mistress Bubble in that sense. Codex case works in the same way. Yeah, although that feels like... It lets you a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, it's here as a 4 of, I think, partly to just help with the curve. Fixes colors, gets you to your four drops better, but it's it's not that strong of a card. So what what does the deck fit? So we're talking about four Elder Dragon War, one Shot of the Skulls, which is a card that we know works amazingly well with Broadback. Getting back a Shot of the Skulls is the equivalent of two mana draw four, which is insane. Four Fable of the Mirror Breaker because Fable is gonna die, and getting it back is always great. Like, a lot of the time what's gonna happen is something like you play a turn 3 Fable and turn 5 when it flips up and bolts it or something and you can just sacrifice your growth and brought back Fable plus growth. So you have a 2-mana Fable of the Mirror Breaker that also draw you a card. Alongside that, you have 2 of a Saga that I think I'm not sure is powerful enough for this deck, which is Battle for Redagard. What does that do? So, first step makes a 1-1 Human, second step makes a 1-1 Elf, and the third step doubles all your tokens, I think? Sorry, doubles all your tokens with different names. 
So you have a 1-1 one, one human and 1-1 one, one elf, so this is 3 mana make 4 one ones. but it also gets you an additional cut from Ezekiel's Chariot, an additional dragon for a dragon war, an additional goblin from Fable, or an additional citizen from Codier's briefcase. Gosh, I mean, that's, that's very clever, but... I'm not sure he's powerful enough, but I love that he went through the effort of making all the tokens different. We have dragon, goblin, human, elf, citizen, cat. <laughs> love it. That's pretty cool. Alongside that, the creatures, we have three Renegade Rallyer, a card that works super well with both Coded Briefcase and Unbridled Growth. Scavenging Ooze, I'm not sure why. In the notes, David says that, I mean, Ooze is just powerful against the metagame. It will eat removal and then come back from the Renegade Rallyer. That's the hope, at least. But yeah, it's perhaps a nod to the fact that all this nonsense we're doing takes a long time and we have to like not die in the meantime. And one Kami of Transcience. Two mana, two to trample. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, she gets a counter. And at the beginning of each step, if an enchantment went to the graveyard, you might return this from your hand, from the from your graveyard. So a really returning threat because this game is putting this thing is putting enchantments into the graveyard borderline every turn. Hmm. But a really fun list. Maybe the Breta Guard is not that too greedy, but besides that, it looks super fun. Yeah, I mean, what I like here is that it takes the premise that seems familiar. Like, what if we had brought back plus sagas? Yeah. What I might have done next is say, okay, let's immediately go to four showdown of the skulls. What David is saying is, actually, we need to win the game, and the best way to do that is a Seeker's Chariot. So we're playing four Asika's Chariots, and instead of playing four showdowns, we're playing four Elder Dragon Wars, because that actually works pretty nicely with a Chariot. Copying dragons makes some sense. Brought back on Chariots, I mean, Chariot does not put itself in the graveyard, but it, it forces the opponent to respond, right? They, they are very likely to have to kill it if you crew it up. Asika's Chariot and Broadback is great because must remove threats work pretty well with Broadback as it's like two mana get them back. And Asika's Chariot is a must remove threat. So it's possible that what we'll find when we test this deck is that that, that core is actually quite strong. Broadback, Chariot, Fable, and, and possibly Elder Dragon War. And that because of that, like you actually don't need to do the other cute stuff. And by cute stuff, I mean Renegade Rallyer is cute. It's not it's not that good. <laughs> yeah, I agree on that. I think the worst part of this deck might actually be the creatures, as crazy as that sounds. So we could cut all of that if we if we find that they're not working, right? Cut the Renegade Valiers, cut the Battle for Bredegard. For more interaction. Yeah, more interaction. And yeah, just rely on the Sagas to win. We're only playing the four hole, running four struggle alongside that, that the Sagas doesn't seem insane. I agree. Yeah, so this is a deck to test. It's just an initial concept. There's other cards that we could play. David has a list here of cards that he considered. Didn't put them in this draft. Serra Paragon looks spicy, especially with Fable. Also, Fable like works around Paragon. You get to recast it because it exiles itself, so it loses the exile, the exile clause. True. So like you can keep getting it back. Same with Rallier, but I don't think you want to be running Rallier. Shaxis, I don't know why he would love. What is Reckless Stormseeker? A 3-drop? That gives case. Yeah, so uh, Jaxus is 
the blitz creature that can yeah. copy something and give it blitz. Reckless Stormseeker is a, a much more aggressive card, right? It's the three drop werewolf. Each combat step, you can give something haste and plus one plus oh. And we've seen this actually paired with Asika's Chariot and Sky Sovereign in that, in that really interesting Gruel deck that we talked about last week or two weeks ago. I mean, Asika's Chariot with haste is borderline unfair. It serves a function of getting them dead in a way that... It's really good at killing your opponent. Yeah, in, in a way that our decks often are not when we're just messing around with synergies. We really are bad at killing our opponents. The other day, I went to play Wizards at an FNM, and everybody was asking me the same. Amy, how are you planning to win in games? And I always gave the same answer with a straight face. And I always said, Lightning Bolt is a win condition. <laughs> and everybody laughed at that until I started playing against a friend of ours like we all know each other were like 20 players and I was playing against this scapeshift player and I was like I managed to get, look at her hand through a surgical effect and I said you are locked because they are a friend of mine like they trust me when I say they are locked they are locked I know they are locked I know I have won that game and they were like no I think I can win I said okay we can keep playing and <laughs> literally I had two options. I could have killed them, literally next turn via 24 damage via bolts, to prove a point. Because I could have gone, I had one ephemerate, I could have gone 4 ephemerates on the Micromancer, and then 4 ephemerates on Archeomancer, and just 4 bolts each turn for 2 turns. Or, I could let them try to escapeshift me and in response killing them in 8 turns, just to prove a point. Which is what I did. <laughs> because I enjoy being pity more than I enjoy winning. Well, we don't have lightning bolts in this format, but we, we can kill them with chapter one of Elder Dragon War <laughs> again and again and again. We can be pity. We can just keep looking. We can just keep looping step one. <laughs> what if I just keep step one in one? Like, Nil Shuramash, loot, get a full four, repeat every turn. So, other cards, David has a note here um, the Rith, the new Rith from Dominaria. Jugan defends the temple if you. Prefer that to battle for Bredegard, you could try that. A card that was dominant in draft, but is perhaps too mana intensive for constructed. You could play the fourth brought back. You could try various enchantress synergies. You could play Shepherd of the Flock. That's a really interesting one. It was it was actually nominated in our last pool. Shepherd of the Flock works super well with a lot of those cards. Works pretty well with Chariot, works super well with Showdown. I don't love the interaction with Fable, but that doesn't mind. You can actually replace some cards for some copies of Fable. Like, if you replace the creature package and add some number of Shepherd, it's super interesting. You know what this deck needs? What's that? A Noodly Boy. Main deck you're in? Or <laughs> companion you're in? Not sure yet. Unsure. Gosh. Aha, you guys thought you were safe. Oh my god. You guys thought it was over. I, I can't think of anything good to say. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you thought you were free. <laughs> if only you knew. Oh my god. It was only the beginning. Alright, so that's a few different concepts with Elder Dragon War. David will be back next week, and I'm sure we'll try one or both of these lists. We'll let you know how that all turned out.
Exactly. Uh, that being said, our last order of business is to tell you a little bit how our testing went this week. We brewed around the card Hori Jin last time, a card that we thought probably wasn't good enough for modern, but in Pioneer, it had a little bit of that crackling Drake energy with the upside of a Goblin Electromancer. It's one blue blue for a star four flying. Hodijin's power equals the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard. So that alone right there, that's, that's Enigma Drake. Almost a crackling Drake, although it does not count exile. <laughs> and that's a draw card. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> I mean, sure. What's the difference between Solitude and Path to Exile? Just a land to your opponent, but who's counting? On top of all that, you get static cost reduction. All of your instants and sorceries are one generic mana cheaper. So, uh, we want to play this with a bunch of spells. Let's start with Is It Colors. This was a theory, at least. David had a couple of concepts, and the interaction that he was really interested in was imagine that on turn four, I play my Horijin, I have one mana up, and that one mana is already enough to cast uh, Lofty Denial. Lofty Denial with a flyer is like a super mana leak, and you can cast it for just one mana with Horijin in play. Similarly, Winged Words, two and a blue for divination, but it costs one less if you control a flyer. That actually becomes one mana draw to when you add in the additional cost reduction of Jin. So four Lofty Denial, four Winged Words. We need some flyers, so we have four Jin, four Crackling Drake, four Ledger Shredders, and a couple Sprite Dragons just to get the flyer count a little bit higher. Various spells, Consider Opts, Strangle, Fiery Impulse. Uh, the Cheeky Sensor, and a Kazool's Fury. <laughs> Good old Kazool's Fury. Exactly. Well, you have the four Crackling Drakes and the Haughty Jin, so you actually have a, a decent chance of pulling off that um, Splinter Fling, if we want to call it that. So while it all sounds like a plausible pile of cards, it's, it's worth keeping in mind what we are not playing. We are not playing any Delve spells, and this is because Haughty Jin does not count Exile. It's one of the trickiest parts of the card, right? Like, you want to grow its power. To do that, you're going to fill your graveyard, and then you have this beautiful resource, a graveyard full of spells that you're just not going to use. Right? You're, you're not going to play Treasure Cruise because you don't want to shrink the Haughty Jin. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Is that wrong? I, I'm not totally sure, but we had to just, we had to just try it and find out. The theory was like, okay, if the opponent is going to bring in Unlicensed Hurst, if the opponent's going to bring in Gold Blanks, uh, I don't want to be completely screwed. I don't want to have my treasure cruiser strand stranded. So there's there's some argument for like, okay, playing Haughty Jin and Winged Words instead gives me a little protection against that. But how did that go? In the end. Asking the tough questions today, Mord. In the end, I'm going straight. I'm going straight for the nerve. Were you not satisfied with the theory behind the deck? You, you actually want me to put put this to the test? <laughs> I mean, you could lie to me and tell me you didn't test it. Gosh. So here's what happened. I played a league with this deck, and the first four rounds, I I won game one in convincing fashion. All four rounds. When you win game one, like it just sets your expectations 
like so high. Like you're feeling good. You're like, yes, I got him. Right. This deck is great. But I didn't win the match. Right. Like, so I won the first round against uh, Rakdos midrange. Always a promising start. Lost the next two rounds against Abzan, Greasefang, and Lotus Fields. And again, like, like you win game one and you're like, okay, and now I bring in my interaction and you know, I should be able to win one of the next two games. But it felt like the deck was getting worse after sideboarding. That could just be a question of like, you know, it's not that tuned yet. But I also felt like it was much easier for the opponents to pick apart what I was trying to do than it was for me to interact with them. Like this is at the end of the day, it's a, a little bit more high variance than it is it spells deck would typically be. It's a little more synergy based. So I can't like pinpoint the reason I lost those matches. Like I thought I was gonna win and then I just lost, and that was a little bit disappointing. Like you're ahead, but the deck just wasn't able to get the win. Yeah, it's like the deck felt like it was like a little underpowered. Okay. Round four, I did win round four. So two and two, and at this point I played, you know, four exhausting three-game sets in a row. So it was fitting that the round five was just like on the draw against Mono Red, completely blown out in two quick games. Mono Red seems really hard for this sort of like grindy two for one index. So we ended up uh, two and three on the whole, played a lot of games with it, got a lot of data. The Horizon was pretty good but the cost the opportunity cost we should say was much too high and i think it really comes down to winged words and lofty denial these are not good cards lofty denial has a role in a spirits deck this is not a spirits deck this is an is it deck and you don't see like the successful is it phoenix or is it drake decks leaning into counter magic right they play card draw and they play cheap removal like that's what is it is good at Lofty Denial and Winged Words, like, they're, they're okay. Like, you can... Like, I, I definitely did all the things we talked about. Like, I cast them for one mana some of the time. Like, I also paid full price for them some of the time when I didn't have my synergies set up. They're just, like, not as good as the cards whose spots they took. Yeah, I find it... Thinking of replacing Treasure Crush, some seems, like, unbelievable. Right. And it's like, it's not just that we think Wigged Words is better than Treasure Cruise. It's that we also don't want to delve the graveyard away. So you can see how this is all connected, right? Like once you commit to Haughty Jin, you, you can talk yourself into not playing Delve spells. But the overall package was a little bit higher variance and not necessarily any more powerful than just like pieces of the puzzle, Treasure Cruise, and not playing Haughty Jin. Yeah. Just does too much when the fact they weren't willing to give it the or in exile close makes it so much weaker. Yeah, I mean the goblang thing happened several times. Graveyard trespasser happened several times. So trespasser seems like such a beating. I mean, it's not a complete disaster, right? Having a Jin on zero power or even on two power is is still a meaningful blocker. So the game continued, but it wasn't like the slam dunk threat that we hoped yeah it, it was worth testing like it, this went about as i expected um i think the list could have been tuned up a little bit like the mana actually gets kind of tough like when you're when you're really demanding to have blue blue for the jinn and then another blue so you can do that turn four line now it's like okay every every mountain every sekenzin becomes painful 
So I, I would actually probably play a couple more dual lands on the deck um, if I was going to try it again. Definitely don't need the sprite dragons. Like that, that's again tricking yourself into thinking that I need critical mass for my suboptimal flying synergy cards. You know, if you've made those changes, you can maybe get a 3-2 on the deck instead of a 2-3. But more realistically, I think what you want to do is just say, all right, f- forget about Lofty Denial. Forget about Wing Words. Let's just not play those again. Forget about the fun cards. Just play the good cards. Yeah, and it's possible that Jin is fine with the good cards. Like, I think Jin plus card draw is actually pretty strong. Like, if you were playing... Pieces of the puzzle with Jin with cost reduction, that's pretty good. I think divide by zero was another option I talked about last week. So it's not out of the question that Jin can be a role player in a spells deck. I just don't think that Lofty Denial and Wing of Words are the right spells. Okay. So sadly, the deck seems seem perfect, but in the end, their replacements felt weaker than the cards you should have been playing. You hate to see it. <laughs> but, you hate to see it. <laughs> but this is why we run the experiment. You know, this is this is what it's all about. The pain. All right. Well, this is not the final word on Horizon, but it's it's an important first step. Trying out a few directions and ruling them out in <laughs> in this case. There's more to explore, and I'm I'm hopeful that we'll find a deck that can make better use of the cost reduction uh, without the vulnerabilities. Maybe just playing Treasure Cruise and relying on... <sighs> it's tough. Yeah, why not? Because, like, Cruise puts a spell in the graveyard, so the Jin's back on one. You drew three new cards, and those cards have more card draw, so, yeah, I mean, why not? Card draw will fuel the Jin. Card uh, is good. Card draw leads to more detailed sorceries. That's how it works. All right, food for thought, but... We are out of time for today, so we're going to leave it there. Mord, always a pleasure. Of course, a pleasure. Hope you have a beautiful day, Dan, and you can find a good old Korishin to improve your deck list. <laughs> Hope you share the show, everybody, and have a nice night. Bye-bye! Deck lists for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for all of our testing results. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye.